All right. Well, today's a little bit different. Well, we like to keep listeners on the to- on their on their toes, and we've got two co-hosts on today. First, Justin is returning uh, from we had him on episode thirty-four, the Great Pumpkin Maker, and Justin's joining us from Toronto again. Welcome, Justin. Tokyo this time, but. <laughs> What did I say? In Toronto. It, oh, sorry. It's, Tokyo. It's a, yes. it's a bit early at the end of the week and your end. It is. I've got the coffee going here. As I as I mentioned to uh, our other guests that I've been injecting for about the last half hour. So hopefully that kicks in soon. But yes, we have a second guest. We talked about this as one of those rare shows where listeners like the show so much they want to come on as guests. And uh, step behind the mic and get in on the conversation. So we have a third person today, which is uh, Salim, who's also joining us from Tokyo, not Toronto, but Tokyo. The three of us have been friends for, well, most of the time that I was in Tokyo. And uh, I guess that's about three years now. And Salim and I met each other through through work and hung out a lot outside of work, tipped a few pints, got to know each other as friends, and certainly one of the people I miss most since being back in Canada, of course, along with you too, Justin. But Salim, tell us a little bit about yourself and feel free to share as little or as much as you like. We try to protect <laughs> the the innocent on here, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Clark. Um, first of all, I must say I am a, a big fan of the show. Like I've, I've listened to I'm pretty sure every single episode. <laughs> twice over. <laughs> and twice, twice over, of course. Uh, I don't know what that says about me or, or sort of how much time I have, but uh, suffice it to say, I just really enjoy uh, this show. Um, so Thank you. Yeah, to the listeners, uh, I'm Salim, uh, Clark's friend, also, also Justin's friend as well. Uh, so we're all friends here. And, um, you know... Uh, I always have a little bit of trouble introducing myself. I mean, what, what, what do you say, right? Uh, so a um, bit of a unique background. I'm Egyptian Japanese. Uh, I live in Tokyo. Um, there aren't a, a whole lot of um, people, a whole lot of people with my, with my kind of background. So that's always kind of a safe place, place to start. Um, I'm 28, recently married. Uh, and yes, uh, congratulations. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, no kids. Uh, I dabble in, everything know a little bit about everything or try to know a little bit about everything not very good at um any one thing in particular so uh that's me hopefully we can uh i'll be able to talk about many different things with you uh oh yeah 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 well thanks yeah we'll un we'll unlock some more of our personalities as we get into some of these topics today yeah. which uh i was glad to have you guys both send some ideas we bounced a few things around and we decided that we were gonna uh, talk about a couple of things i i had a a book that i used i think it was like the third or fourth episode called the book of thunks that um i'll say they contain a number of thought-provoking questions some super simple and some a little bit strange and so i went through that book again because i thought it'd be a nice way to break the ice a little bit with uh, with a couple questions I found in there that could be interesting. Then we're going to talk about something Justin wanted to, to bring to the table around parents and things our parents did or didn't do that we, we want to replicate or not replicate um, for ourselves and our kids. And then our, our third segment uh, is going to be a little bit about men's fashion. Uh, whenever somebody asks me about the show... 
I usually say, well, we talk about men's health. We talk a little bit about parenting. Sometimes even men's fashion will will come up. So this is a good uh, good topic. I don't think we've talked about fashion on this show recently. So that's good. And then we're gonna finish up with our strange news story, which um, Salim's brought something for us today. So looking forward to that. Okay, from the book of Thunks, if you had been born taller. Would you be a different person than now? If you'd been born taller, would you be a different person than now? <laughs> Justin, you're already tall. What comes to mind when you think of that question? I actually have a friend who's about 210 centimeters, uh, which is, I think is around 6'10 or so. Whoa, okay. And what he's said to me on multiple occasions when we've been out at night, and he lives here in Tokyo, so it's quite a sight. Mm-hmm. for Tokyoites. What he said to me on multiple occasions is, Justin, you only like to hang out with me because people stare at you instead of staring at me. He He's saying it half in jest, of course, but I think what would be different is a glance would turn into a stare. I think that, sure, you know, it's nice being tall. It's nice being tall in a place like here. You do stand out. It's easy for other people to find you. I just stand still and they can look for me. Yes, but if I'm that tall, it goes from an uncomfortable existence of ducking under ledges and doorways and trying to get in and out of the train and getting whacked by different things to just a perpetual life of physical misery, I would say. This world in general, and here in Tokyo specifically, is just not built for people who are over maybe 5'10", 5'11". So from my perspective, that would be the physical part of what's different if I was taller. Yeah. But from the standpoint of embracing one's uniqueness and maybe even embracing some of how that can play to your advantage, it'd be fantastic. I was a decent athlete growing up. Maybe I'd be playing in the NBA. Mm. There's not. And how tall are you now, Justin? Uh, six three, six four, about one hundred ninety one, yeah, one hundred ninety two okay. centimeters. Yeah. There's not a very high percentage of people in the world that are about seven feet tall and of the people who are seven feet tall, the percentage of which who've played professional basketball is very high. Right. Huh? So once you get over that 210 to 214 centimeters area, seven feet tall area, you pretty much got a good shot of getting into the league. And as you know, and as we previously potted about, I'm a huge fan of the NBA. So, what would I be doing or what would I be doing differently? Maybe I'd be playing in the NBA or in Europe or here in Japan. Who knows? Yeah. How about you, Salim? Yeah, so <laughs> really interesting question. Um, I'm obviously on the other, sen- other side of the spectrum uh, and I'm pretty short, right? I'm pretty short. Uh, I think um, last time I measured, I'm like 5'5", five, five, so 160 five centimeters um so that's even short by japanese standards which um for you know by western standards i'm you know practically uh (laughs) well you know super short uh i don't know i mean if i were taller how would that impact my life uh you know i always looked at other people who were taller than me and um you know i just thought well you know that's cool. <laughs> uh, 
you know, and, and then just try to look at it the other way. It's like, well, you know, I'm sure uh, economy class uh, on airplanes, love it, love it. Like yeah. problems, <laughs> I just don't have the, I just don't yeah. have that, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, taller people, you know, I guess it's just like a psychology thing, right? Um, being taller is associated with, um, you know, especially for men, like, um, it's kind of, I guess, more masculine. It's mm. um, associated with, um, can be or can be associated with power, right? Um, as well, um, you know, if you're tall enough, you could join the NBA, like Justin said, <laughs> and, and, and and that could lead to pretty uh, lead to a pretty interesting life, I imagine. Um, but um, yeah, I guess uh, I'm I'm happy that I am what I am, uh, the size that I that I am at the moment. Uh, would I have been any better off if I were taller? I don't know. Um, can't say. Can't say that would be the case. Uh, mm. But it would be interesting. Yeah, and it's an interesting question because it's if you if yeah if you were taller, would you be a different person? Like, would you act differently? Would you? Because I think a lot of tall people sometimes they there can be very awkward people. Like they're 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 conscious of being so tall and often can be um, very awkward with that tallness. Um, I, so I'm in the middle of you guys. I'm 5'10", which uh, I forget what that is in centimeters, but I'm, in, or I'm right in the middle. So for me, yeah, I've looked at taller people and said, oh, that'd be cool to be tall, especially athletes, like athletes, whether it's basketball or, or baseball or most many sports, they tend to be tall people, hockey and yeah, I would look at those guys. Oh yeah, if I had been another f- four inches higher, you know, six feet or more, maybe that would have meant something athletically for me that uh, that I don't presently have. Um, I I would say that yes. So my quick my answer to it would be yes. I would be different. I don't know exactly how, but I think I would be slightly different if I was. I guess it depends how much taller too. If I was seven feet tall that's that's different and i used to think about that in tokyo like you were saying justin that i occasionally almost bump my head into things and have not really bumped it in regular public places but like i feel sometimes like i'm just missing some of those overhanging signs through the tunnels and i think geez another couple inches and you could really seriously hurt yourself yeah, at least once a month, I, I clock my head on something. <laughs> yeah, wow. No, yeah. it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, I, if I may, I mean, from the opposite perspective in terms of sex, I mean, I have some friends who are women who are quite tall, and they've struggled with this. So, you know, you referred to the masculinity standpoint of this, Salim. I, I would say that for a lot of my friends who are a bit taller, I have a, two friends that are over six feet tall that are women, and both of them struggled with this from the perspective of it's not seen as being feminine, that it is seen as mm-hmm. an extension of awkwardness and not necessarily as as graceful or as feminine as, as a lot of society projects it to be. And it's very challenging for them being tall. And it took them a much longer, I think, to kind of embrace uh, their physicality and, and see themselves in that way as a beautiful person physically that Maybe some others, it's a bit easier because the imagery 
and and the ideals are just not necessarily always framed that way. And it, it took them a bit. Well, if longer, my but, wife is listening yeah. to if my wife is listening to this show, she's she's probably hearing hearing you loud and clear because uh, she's five nine, and uh, she's only like an inch shorter than me. So she can speak to that. She grew grew up as being not just one of the tallest tallest women in the class, but for some of her time, she was actually among the tallest in the class of both men and women or boys and girls. And especially when you're like 11, 12, 13, starting to hit that kind of dating time when you start boys and girls start noticing each other and all that. She said it was super awkward to the guys would be intimidated by the fact that she was as tall as, as them or taller. And that's kind of leveled out. Five, nine is still pretty tall, but it's not, quite um you know she's her i'm just an inch taller but she doesn't feel but she puts heels on she can be she could be taller than me and she yeah. can feel self-conscious about that so but yeah i mean on, on that dating point i mean that that's actually an interesting point that, and i didn't um didn't really think about that straight away but um it, it is a, a social thing right for especially for women to want to be with men who are taller than them uh Typically, that's the case, right? By by default, right? There are more taller men than there are tall. There are uh, tall women, uh, or men are typically more taller than women. Um, so for me, uh, you know, I in the past got a lot of you know, Salim. If you were a little bit taller, I'd go out with you. And I'm like, mm. dang, <laughs> I wish I had you know three more inches on me. <laughs> um, but um, did you get? Were you offended by that? Because it doesn't sound like you were offended by that. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's fine. Right. You kind of got it in a way like it was, well, I mean, I, I think, I think of it this way. I mean, if, if all you're looking at is my height, then I, I'm probably better off not dating you at all. So, okay. So, yeah. so offended was probably a big word that I used there, but so you're saying it, it was sort of, yeah. Okay. It was disappointing, but I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it it's funny you say that. Because I would see that more from women that maybe were of similar height to you, you know, maybe maybe someone even shorter, you know, five two to like five six, you know, they they want this this big person, the the protector ideal that some people kind of get into, but I I mean of the few people that I I'm friends with that are taller, um, actually many of them dated men much shorter than them. They were completely. Hmm good with that they didn't care at all one of my friends she's six one and most of the men she dated were five six five seven five eight so Hmm. yeah i I don't i don't know i don't know maybe maybe you didn't meet the right tall woman yeah exactly (laughs) exactly um any i mean in in any case uh i ended up getting married (laughs) i know as i mentioned earlier and yeah yeah, and uh you know she i think she's like an inch shorter than me um, so it all kind of works out. It does. No, that's good. Okay. Next question. If you had spent more time learning to play the piano at school than you did learning algebra, would you be spending more time playing the piano than you do using algebra today? Mm. And, and that's kind of, a, for me, that's a, an interesting question because there's two kind of two things going on there. I don't use algebra in my job today. <laughs> so that's a quick one. I can say no. Uh, I would be playing the piano more because even if I played the piano once since I left school, 
the answer would be yes, I'd be playing piano more. But I also like, I, w- I would be playing piano more because I wish I had learned it. I, I know how to play it a bit. But um, so for me, the answer is a, an easy yes, because I just don't use algebra in my job. I wish I could play the piano. And if I could, I'd be playing it a lot more. So I use a bit of math. I use a bit of algebra in, in my work, in my day to day. Not because I want to, because I have to. Uh, and I mean, I was never really a great student uh, to begin with. So yeah, I don't know if, um, but I guess if, if I had learned piano, um, I probably would use it more because I actually like the piano. Um, yeah. my, my aunt is a piano teacher uh, and I, I loved hearing her play. Uh, so if, um, yeah, if I had the chance, yeah, I'd probably be using uh, piano more because I actually want to use it or play. How about you? Yeah. How about you, Justin? Yeah. So from a mathematics standpoint, I'm definitely not an actuary. I'm definitely not on the on the level of needing advanced mathematics in my day-to-day life for the most part. But obviously, I, I enjoy being good at mathematics. It was one of my stronger suits growing up and still is to this day. But I, I would definitely trade it for the piano, hands down. I, I always have melodies playing in my head. I'm always writing songs out. And I taught myself and also learned formally several instruments at a certain level uh, trumpet piano drums a few others for that matter and guitar and i sort of wish that i i did do you want to throw like three more instruments in there just to make us feel even worse (laughs) you taught yourself all that taught myself some of those others i i formally learned as well wow yeah and i i wish i'd kind of hunkered down and really learned piano. I really wish that I'd gone through that. And that's something I can still do. I actually just recently picked up a guitar again and I'm starting to fiddle around with that. I actually just picked up something else that I used to do before, but maybe we'll dive into that later in the podcast. But yeah, I kind of do wish that I'd hunkered down and and learned piano at at a depth that would allow me to functionally play out what I'm imagining and what I'm conceptualizing and, uh, and spend more time mm. putting some of those things to, uh, to paper, so to speak. Well, and two, the question, the question says if you had spent time learning it in school, right. I think that's an important element here is that if, if piano had been a class, you know, like right. the way math was a class, the way English or other or geography were classes that we, we had, what if piano was a class well, it is if you go to a magnet school, right? Or if you go to, you know, an arts and performing sure, school. Sure, sure. And, but if it was even just in a regular, mm-hmm. as a regular course, just like geography or, or science, it happened to be a class. I guess for me, I don't know, because I did have the opportunity to take lessons as a kid. And like many kids, I just dreaded the whole thing. And I, I and like my dad said, Clark, you'll regret it, it went later in life. <laughs> Rather than say, you'll really appreciate it later. <laughs> um, actually, I think he did say that, but uh, he did say he would, would appreciate it. And, and as normally we, at least me, we don't heed those sorts of advice, that uh, that sort Absolutely. of advice that we get from our parents, which uh, 
maybe we'll get into that a little bit in the next segment, sort of a nice segue into <laughs> the, the next segment. But um, Salim, you wanted to talk about a product that uh, you recently acquired or, or got. Uh, tell us about that product. We don't have official sponsors on this show, but we like to include <laughs> occasionally something we like, a product or a service, and and just as an unofficial sponsor. So who? what have you got there? Yeah, so um, um, a friend of mine actually uh, gave me a wedding gift and um he knows i like coffee so he gave me this uh, uh you know, contraption called uh the uh, bialetti uh mocha pot express and uh basically it's a it's a coffee maker right um and or espresso maker uh it's not a machine uh you use you put it over um uh, a heat source uh whether that's like an, an ih uh or a gas uh heater or stove and um and you can make coffee with it right and i'm really really enjoying it it's i usually just drink you know instant coffee or something uh something simple at home but um the the way the contraption works is is really interesting i won't get into the details but um you know if 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 you if you want to check it out it's it's pretty cool and the coffee that you can make with it is actually really good so. Is this like the silver Italian-looking thing, or it's, Italian it's like a pot? Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's like the Italian pot thing, and it's kind of got like um, you know, different sections where one where you put you know, the the water, the the coffee, the ground coffee, and then it um, when you heat the water, it kind of just rises through the through the coffee and then through a pipe, and then right. it it, uh, it percolates. That's the that's the correct term. Percolates in the top section and that's the that's the coffee that you can drink and i'm making okay. like lattes and stuff with it and it's real it's, it's fun it's, it's a lot of fun nice yeah and i'll include i always include the link in the show notes so i'll have to get the details of that name uh, and i'll include that for those that are interested in seeing it all right so we're moving to our next segment which is uh, an idea justin brought to the table it's um uh, i'm gonna i'll try it you know what justin let me just turn it right over to you you can open this up uh, what do you, what what's the topic and what do you where did it come from what made you think of it I was kind of thinking about from the framing of you know for those of us who are parents or for those of us who want to become parents or will become parents at some point if that's a, something of interest or even from our own experiences as children that we had from our own parents I was wondering you know what's something that that we experienced as a child that we would like to replicate or something that we experienced as a child that we would not want to replicate with our own children in terms of how we parent. Uh, taking my own parents, for example, uh, my parents were very engaged. They were very supportive throughout my childhood and adolescence and into adulthood, of course. And one of the things that really struck me with my father, even though he was somebody who was frequently on the go, traveling quite a bit, and very in demand in terms of his role and, and what he was doing at work. He always tried very hard to be present, even if he couldn't be. So, you know, before technology, before FaceTime, before Zoom, before everything else that, you know, made it possible for us to connect while we're away from each other physically or distance-wise, you know, he would always try to call when he was on a trip. And if he was around and he had a lot of work on his plate, he would always keep track of when I had a baseball game or a basketball game or something like that and make sure that on those days he was out the door extremely early and that he was out the door from work 
early enough that he was getting to a five o'clock game or a four o'clock game so he could catch, or maybe it's six and he's catching the last half of those things. And for myself, that's something I've tried to replicate with my children as well. You know, during this at-home experience, this remote work experience, as well as at-home learning for a lot of our children, we were very present for a lot of that. And during the remote work part of it, it also means that some of the activities that our kids are engaging in, maybe we can shift our schedules around and prioritize certain things and still frame out our, our daily work schedule, but be, be available to bring them to swimming or bring them to something in the evening. And I've really enjoyed that. That's something that I, I knew that I was already trying to do as much as I could for my children, but even more so now. And I'm not trying to tie it to COVID necessarily, but I, I would ask the same question to you, Clark, and as well, Salim, you know, if and when you want to uh, be a parent or if that's something of interest to you, or even from your own experience, what was something that you experienced that you really embraced, you, you enjoyed and was fruitful to your own experience being raised or something that you would want to carry on to someone that you had as a child? Yeah, well, hearing what you were saying about your father making the time to attend your games, that's certainly something my dad did a lot of as well. He um, he was pretty pretty busy as a an office worker, like he worked in uh, financial services, and he could never coach a team. And I always wanted, I think a lot of kids wanted their parents to be the coach both for the benefits that sometimes the kids of the coach get, um, which my father would have never bestowed any of those privileges upon me, which would have been fine <laughs> and a good thing. Um, coach's son is not always the best person to, to be. But the one thing I really respect is that my dad, well, he kind of put that, put that out there. I used to always ask, can you be the coach? Can you be the coach? And he'd said, like one year he was the assistant coach. <clears throat> So he was, he could be the guy, the coach showing up at 10 minutes to the game because he was driving all the way from Toronto to, to after a, an hour and a half commute to where we lived at the time, it was okay to be the assistant coach and show up, you know, a few minutes before the game. But if you were the coach, you had to drop the lineups and do all that stuff it wasn't possible. So I will say though, my dad attended almost every game I ever played. I played baseball and was at any things I was doing at school, school productions and things like that. So just, I'm going to steal that one because that's uh, something my dad did. And I, I do have that same feeling for my kids that I will always be absolutely trying my best to attend their games um, or their performances or whatever it might be for both my kids. So, yeah. Thank you, Clark. Yeah. I mean, Salim, did you have any kind of experiences that you drew from or that you, you'd you want to replicate if you did start a family yourself? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd certainly like to have kids someday. Um, that's certainly something that's on the radar for me. Um, hmm. Interesting question. My parents were actually pretty hands-off and uh, they kind of let me do I mean they allowed me to pretty much do what I whatever I wanted uh in in a sense within within certain bounds uh <laughs> and uh and for me I thought I mean I thought then and um and still think now that uh it was one of the best parenting decisions um from 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 them you know ever mm. and uh I think it allowed me 
uh, think independently uh, growing up. When I went uh, when I went away to college uh, and left Egypt, where where I where I lived, they basically said, you know, here you go, you're off to college, you go figure yourself out, <laughs> and uh, and that worked immensely well for me, I think, um, and really made me into the person that I am today. So uh, for that, I'm certainly thankful for for them, you know, giving me that um, independence, that free roam. And that's certainly something that I would like to eventually give my child, children uh, in in the future as well. Just, you know, allow them to you know, figure the world out uh, mm-hmm. on their own within within certain guidelines uh you know tell them what potential consequences for things are uh decisions and but allow them to make the uh, decisions that um that they need to make on their own um you know a, a, a you know a quick small example of this would be you know when i was in my later teens um my father said you know you go kind of do do whatever you <laughs> whatever you need to do as a as a teenager but worse comes to worst and you know let's say you get arrested i'm not going to come bail you out you know you are going to rot in jail <laughs> for the rest of your life or or, or forever <laughs> um or you know however long uh you're going to be you know incarcerated and i was like okay Fair point. Gotcha. <laughs> I was that just so he knew you didn't have that uh, ability to just say, well, fine, I'll screw up. And I've always got dad to come get me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was just, it made me think, right? It's like, okay, I, I need to um, make decisions that will, you know, that will not lead to my arrest. <laughs> uh, if I do, if I do, do, you know, decide to do something um, stupid. Um, or, you know, I, it's either don't get arrested or don't do the, you know, the bad deed. Right. So, right. Yeah. 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 Huh. I mean, what, what you shared, it sounds like there's two big components of, you know, self-responsibility and a lot of dealing with ambiguity that you had to learn for yourself. And did you feel like that helped prepare you for navigating the world around you in early adulthood or in adulthood now or in the professional workspace? How did you feel like those lessons impacted you? Yeah. I mean, I think. You know, one of the um, one of the bigger lessons I think were um, how to how to deal with money, for instance, right? Mm. Um, and that's a big part of that was when um, I was sent off to to college, and my parents said, "Well, you know, we're going to pay for your rent, uh, and that's it. You go get a student loan, and you know, you go." find a job right and um if if you don't find a job if you're if you're unable to to make money then well you know good luck finding something to eat you know uh Mm. and and it was it was things like small small or maybe big things like this um that allowed me to you know be the i guess adult (laughs) however you define adult that um that i am today and yeah for that i'm I'm definitely thankful and and it absolutely contributed to uh 
and in, in a positive way, I think, to, to who I am now. Yeah, that's interesting because, I, I mean, it's tough to to let go of like when you've got your when you when you have kids i mean you hear these terms like helicopter parenting and and things like that where some some parents are just so on top of every single step and move and constantly like monitoring everything and worried all the time and and that's just natural to be worried about your kids but i do think there are negative negatives to that that not letting kids fall down and make mistakes and learn on uh, for themselves how to fix things. I think having, I'm not sure I'd go so extreme on that. If you get in jail, I'm not coming to bail you out. I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing to say because that is an extreme. So it's kind of an, it's, I see the point with that. I've I never think, been arrested, so I, I haven't put that to the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe he would bail me out. I'm not sure. Yeah, there was no, it. there was hey, no, the Dad, house is not okay. collateral, Celine. <laughs> Say that again, Justin. Uh, I was saying there's no the house is not collateral for you, Salim. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, to your point, Clark. I mean, real brief. You know, the flip side of this is the helicopter parents is one side. Let's say you're a parent who, as a child, as an adolescent, you were a risk taker and you did a lot of things that were a little bit on the edge of things, and you became fairly aware of some of the risks that a teenager or an adolescent could encounter. Flip side of that is. You know, you know what to watch out for, and you know what your children may be exposed to. So to your point about letting them fall down so they can stand up again and, and learn the lesson of what it means to fail and what it means to experience certain things, there's also that element of having to kind of bite your tongue sometimes too, where maybe you do know where something's coming and you do know that they could be yes. exposed to a certain type of risk, and you just need to keep your mouth shut yes. because... They need to experience that for themselves. They need to see that. They need to learn that lesson, good or bad, hard or hard way. They need to experience that. And in the end, in my, from my perspective at least, parenting, a lot of it is just decoding the world, right? The world's hard enough out there. Inside, you're safe, but I'm going to help you decode what's going on out there and what maybe you should watch out for. But in the end, you have to figure out what you're looking at. The necktie. Tell us about this one, Salim. What brought what brings this idea to the table? Yeah, so I mean, I was thinking recently about how free um, <laughs> I am. Very luckily uh, at the moment to not have to wear any sort of any type of formal uh, work attire uh, anymore. I'm working from home pretty much 95% of the time now. Uh, so I'll go into the office maybe once every three weeks, once a month maybe. And um, I was just thinking, I, I'm not a big fan of the tie. Uh, if I don't have to wear it, I won't. And, and Clark, you know, uh, we worked together for a while. I was probably one of the more casually dressed, if not the most casually dressed person in the yep. office usually. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe it's a factor of my age as well. Uh, but I mean, I'm just for wear whatever is most comfortable for you. And I understand the tie is a, uh, as a fashion accessory, right? Um, you know, it, it adds a bit of something to, uh, the, the, the suit, right? I guess, um, you know, I just wanted to get you guys, um, you know, you guys opinion on, you know, 
ties, right? On wearing ties, do you do you like wearing ties? And uh, you know, it, because it is something that doesn't necessarily serve a, a particular purpose. It, it is just a you know a fashion accessory. Is it something that um, should be mandatory? Is maybe a bit too far but often in certain business settings uh, you're almost kind of required to to wear a tie um and i wonder whether you know that requirement is uh is valid right should should people mm-hmm. be required to wear ties uh you know and, and that could that could lead into the whole sort of uh dress code conversation but uh before we uh you know before you guys give your uh opinions um i did a bit of quick research on origins of the tie and where it came from and i was a bit surprised uh at what i found uh so basically uh the tie traces its origins back to the mid 17th century and um were originally worn uh by croatian mercenaries to huh. protect their necks from the elements apparently and i guess what the elements else. not from attack but from the elements from the elements i guess from attack as well i mean well i mean if you're if you're a mercenary that there's always i guess that risk right um <laughs> and that um you know item was uh you know that that inspired parisians of the time uh to create this new clothing accessory um the cravat right uh, which is which trans you know transformed into what we know as uh, as the tie today so it, it's mm. been around for a very long time interesting yeah um well okay so on the tie topic i i always liked this is one of the things that i really thought about when i was thinking about my career was what am i going to do with myself like as a young age i would be thinking about different careers as a lot of kids do and i had the 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 typical ones, you know, police officer, fireman, but my dad always wore a tie to work. And so I used to see him go to work every day in a suit and tie. And I really thought that was cool. I thought the suit and tie <laughs> thing that I said, oh, that's gotta be me. I want to be the one walking out of the house and coming home every day wearing a suit and tie. So I, but I've recently started to become more of, uh, against it in the sense that I'm also enjoying this more casual kind of way things are with with covid that we're not coming into the office now so i i mean i wore a hoodie yesterday um all day and i had a call with with a client that i didn't expect was going to be a bro sorry was going to be a a video call he set it up and and when i logged in there he was he wasn't in a tie but he was in a dress shirt and I just realized as I saw my reflection in the little window there that I'm wearing this hoodie with like the little tassels hanging down. <laughs> right, yeah. And I felt kind of awkward about that. And I didn't apologize. And I've, but I've, I got to admit, I have actually been thinking of sending him a note to say, good call yesterday. Thanks for sharing the information. Oh, by the way, you know, and put a little note in about the hoodie. <laughs> I mean, that could be, you know, okay, just kind of light stuff. And he's a pretty casual guy. But just in terms of what you were saying about what it, how it's a requirement or it feels like it is, I definitely put a tie on more for because I have to, like, because I think others are going to have them on. But I'm, I'm more in your direction now, which is the, I don't think we need to have the tie 
especially if it logistically doesn't make sense. Like in those to- Tokyo summers, um, we used to always talk about some of the people that would visit from abroad. And you could tell when we said, no, no, we don't need to even wear a jacket going to someone's office because a lot of the, cl- we check with the clients and they yeah. were pretty cat- super cool about it. But I know that isn't always the case. So uh, I, I do like ties. I think they're very, they can be beautiful looking pieces of fabric and so there are times where a tie works for me like especially if I'm going to go out but I'm becoming more not interested in the tie thing because I just find it bothers my neck yeah it bothers my neck way more than it used to like I used to hear people say oh I don't want to be choked by this thing and I never got that but now I don't know maybe I've gained weight and just the way a tie (laughs) feels on me is different than it used to be but yeah um it is an interesting, Justin. What about you? What do you? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm of a couple minds, and I mean, from the standpoint of the the business side and the practicality side, I mean, I think we had to have to come to an agreement on what's uniform, right? Sometimes some clients, some companies, as you know, are a bit more formal than others, and it's almost an expectation. It's like I'm meeting with such and such. I need to I need to look a certain way. All their people are going to be this way. And then with others, you know, it's just very laid back. It's open top button and it's just a shirt and a blazer, if that. And from the standpoint of uh, the, the, the business uniform, I, I don't see why it's an absolute. If you look at, you know, kind of to your point before about wearing the hoodie and having the tassels hanging out and wanting to maybe send a note, you know, I'm of the mindset. It's like exec presence, right? This is who I am. I'm presenting my ideas. You're here to talk to me about this, yeah. not about what I'm wearing, not about any of this other nonsense. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at Silicon Valley and the tech industry, they're completely anti this. You know, it's, it's all hoodies and t-shirts and jeans and khakis and down vests. And it's, it's its own uniform, but mock turtlenecks. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, if you're, if you're, you're VC. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I think we have to kind of come to an agreement as to what the, the modern uniform is if we're going to get people into the framing of the being comfortable with not having it. I think people should be comfortable. I think we should be explicit about it. And I think it, there should be kind of a tone set in general. To what you said before, Clark, about how you'd see your father wearing a tie and, and how you had a connection to that to a degree. My connection was a bit different. My connection was more so seeing my father come back and going, oh, and taking his tie off. Mm. So my connection was, this is the release. This is like, I can be me. This is the point where I can just relax. And that to me kind of struck a chord. Like, well, wait a minute. If this is the version of you that you're enjoying yourself, the most relaxed and everything else, why why go through all of that, right? Yeah. Why go through that's interesting through, through doing that. Uh, the other part of this, the other mind that I have of this, and as I believe you're both aware, I, I had a former life and career in fashion. And uh, in fashion, I really loved the tie because in fashion, fashion was about an expression of who you were, your personality. It was maybe a projection to a certain degree of, of what you were trying to show the world or show whatever that setting was or that, that event you're going to of who you are and what you want to do. And in many ways, the tie kind of, for lack of a better word, ties it all together. 
So <laughs> you're playing off of suit patterns. You're playing off of the colors of the shirt. You're playing off of the fabrics yeah. and textures. You're sometimes, actually oftentimes, it was a conversation piece for a lot of folks. Mm. I know a lot of people in the finance industry loved Hermes ties because they were these very, very ornate patterns and oftentimes had a focal point to that pattern. It'd be, you know, all one jacquard or, or diamond pattern and then something right in the middle of it of like a monkey jumping up and yeah. down with a ball mm. or yeah. something, right? So no different than our female counterparts who would maybe have a specific type of costume jewelry or something like that that became the focal point. Men also had that as well. So it was an expression in a way of personality, of, of something beyond just being the CFO or whatever of, of organization X. And I appreciate that part of it. I, I, I like, quote unquote, playing dress up and doing that whole thing when I was especially in fashion and still to this day from time to time. So I appreciate that part of it. But from a day to day standpoint, from a summer standpoint, I'm out with that. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. I'm done. There's no reason to do any of that. That's just torture for no reason. Tokyo summers, especially. And and I, I, I get it, right? So, I mean, as an expression of fashion, I think it's totally cool. People should, in my opinion, people should just be able to wear whatever they want. And it's the, the idea that, well, if I'm meeting with someone and they're, you know, fully kitted out, you know, suit and tie, the whole the whole thing, right? Um, do they feel left out if I'm not wearing a tie? Uh, if I'm coming, you know, to a meeting in a, you know, in, in a hoodie and jeans, you know, this is my uh, way of expressing, you know, myself. This suit and tie is, is the way you, you want to express yourself. I think that's fine. Like, I mean... For me, I wouldn't worry about what the other person is wearing at all, right? In fact, I encourage them to just wear whatever they they like. And I would like for other people to think the same for me. And sort of that's... that's I, I think my, a lot of this, though, yeah. comes to... Because there's a lot of energy that's been spent or expended on... Should I wear a tie today? Should I not wear a tie today? And then if we all just sort of said, look... Just wear whatever we want. Sound mm -hmm. good, guys? Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. I wanted to say one more thing because I want to move on, but you at one time, Salim, said a uniform was something you thought that would make a lot of sense. And I... Th well, um, so the, the the concept of the uniform was was more, you know, if, if you wanted people to just all wear the same thing uh, or, or somewhat similar, right? Um, instead of having that ambiguity of, oh, you know, just dress work casual or um you know dress appropriately for the office and it's kind of ambiguous right if you want people to wear the same thing you just give them a uniform and then no one has to think about what they what they're going to wear you know that day obviously it it's the you know the polar opposite of expressing yourself right it's 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 totally just you know making it's a uniform right makes everyone uniform makes everyone yeah. the same so that's not really interesting but it um it eliminates, well, eliminates a lot of ambiguity the closest thing I can think of to that, because we know of other professions that have uniforms like the police, which the uniform is a symbol of something, right? Um, even like people that do cleaning, like a lot of them will have specific uniforms they wear. I think the closest thing to what you're describing would be the school uniform, where to remove the element of personal choice of fashion and all the, some of the pressures that can kind of come with that, the image it presents when everybody's dressed the same way. I guess the school uniform would probably be the closest thing I can think of to like a work uniform in a yeah. business setting, like a, in a white collar job setting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the only other person I can think of that kind of held something like that was Albert Einstein. He had this whole thing where he wore basically the same outfit every day. He had five of the same set of clothes, same jo- sweater, same shirt, same pants. Steve Jobs was kind of the same, right, with the black mock turtle right, and the right, jeans? With the black- yeah, except with Steve, he was buying like seven hundred dollar cashmere mock necks. It wasn't wasn't quite <laughs> quite as shabby as uh, as Albert was pulling. But uh, Albert's whole thinking around it was just, you know, I don't want to be spending the energy or the time on this. I'd rather be focused on the problems of the day, the problems that I'm working on, instead of spending any energy on that. Well, Obama used to say that he only wore. He might still say it, but he wore blue and and black or blue and gray only. Was he only had two colors of suits? And all white, always white shirts, and usually a, a one or two solid ties, like like blue and maybe one or one other color, because it would go with every single thing. So he could wear that tie with whatever suit he was wearing. He could wear that shirt with whatever suit he was wearing. And I actually started to do that same principle as I was starting to buy clothes. I thought mm-hmm. I'm just going to get stuff where I don't need to look at the tie like three times over and decide does this match with the shirt I'm wearing, does the shirt match with the jacket? Does the jacket mm-hmm. match with this? And so I think there's a lot to be said in that mental energy that gets expended, that just having the, there's no decision. Kind of like mm-hmm. putting your clothes out the night before and in a, in a way it's like it's there. It's, the, it's one less thing to think about as I start my day. Yeah, absolutely. Now the fashion conscious yeah, person it, would say, you know, that's just really boring. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you, right? I'd rather just, um, I don't want to think too much about what I have to wear on any given day. Um, if it's practical, if it looks good, that's, that's what I'm going to wear. All right, Salim, we're going to f- finish off with your strange news story. What do you got there for us? Is it strange? Is it weird? Is it, am I setting it up uh, the right way? What, what do you have uh, for us? Uh, I guess it's I guess it's kind of strange, um, kind of representative of, of uh, our times as well. So uh, the uh, the news article I picked up was from back in July, and um, it's um, it's from South Korea, right? So uh, apparently there is a uh, a surge in uh, damaged cash, and it's damaged by uh, people in South Korea microwaving and putting. Uh, cash like bills uh, in uh, yeah microwave and washing machine to try to get rid of the coronavirus. Ah, <laughs> okay. Huh. What are they? If you got the headline there, what does the headline actually yeah, say? Yeah, so the he- headline says surge in damaged cash on wor- uh surge in damaged cash uh, on worried South Korea as worried South Koreans try to microwave the virus <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting um and uh yeah so the central bank there is saying that there's been a threefold increase in the amount of burnt money uh they're asked to exchange and that amounted to uh 1.1 million us dollars in the first half of 2020 and um you know like i said people are some people are putting the, that cash in in washing machines as well and there's this one guy um, who went to the uh, central bank uh, of Korea, right, with the equivalent of thirty-two thousand U.S. dollars, right, um, that he put in the washing machine? Uh, about a third of that money, th- those bills got destroyed, uh, and oh he was only God. able to replace uh, twenty thousand dollars worth. So, so the guy lost twelve thousand U.S. dollars, 
um, because he put his cash in the washing machine. I'd argue he deserved to lose a lot more than that. But maybe that's <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. It must not have been a modern Samsung because uh, <laughs> they do have the cash setting on the, 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 the newer models. Um, yes, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, did they did, besides the coronavirus part because i have a theory not a theory but a loose connection that i'd like to raise in a second here but did they specifically say why they were so fearful of their cash that they needed to rid it of potential coronavirus what what was dry i mean as a base yes we get it coronavirus is is the reason the rationale but why is it that the cash needed to be washed, not not anything extreme in their day-to-day life beyond that. I mean, what was it exactly? And and I'll get in a moment to why I'm making this weird connection, but it was it just that, or did they express anything else as to the relationship with money or being in contact to money that they were specifically very afraid of the coronavirus? Well, in, in this one case um, of the guy um, who put 32,000 US dollars equivalent in his washing machine. Uh, he'd got that money um, from as funeral condolence money from family and friends. Mm. Uh, so obviously the guy came from multiple sources, yeah, came I guess, from multiple then. sources. So, you know, maybe that's why he was, he was worried and then, you know, decided to you know, shove it in the washing machine. But I'm interested <laughs> in uh, the, the segue to that, Justin. Well, the, the segue is, as an American, there are some very weird facts and figures out there. <laughs> and I remember at one time reading something about the fact that of the total U.S. currency in circulation, something insane, like 70 or 80 percent of it at one time, had the residue of cocaine. I've heard that. Hmm. And with that in mind, would there be an intense fear that this thing that they're now putting up against or into their nose is carrying a potential... Virus <laughs> that they'd be then in, inhaling into them. Um, I have no idea what the the drug abuse culture is like in Korea, South Korea <laughs> specifically. But I I was wondering if there were other tangential or parallel drivers as to why the specific segment of Koreans were were trying to sterilize their bills. <laughs> I mean, you don't need thirty two thousand dollars worth of bills to I guess get high every day yeah. if, you're, if you're into that, but. <laughs> Well, what's interesting, too, is uh, I'm not sure about Korea, but in Japan, as we know, there's so much cash being used in mm. many transactions. Mm. I mean, mm. I was I certainly never withdrew as much cash in when I was living in North America as I did in Japan. I mean, mm-hmm. like once a week, I was taking five, six hundred dollars out of the cash machine because of how much cash tended to be how I operated because that's mm-hmm. just the Japan society. Um, but I did often wonder, yeah, like, okay, here we are passing bills to one another. Isn't that a way right. to spread this virus? Uh, in North America, there's much more of cashless society, mm-hmm. credit cards, debit cards, tapping the machines. I have an old Japanese bank card that doesn't have a chip on it. Like, But every other thing I have here, all my Canadian banking stuff it has a chip. I can tap almost anywhere, anywhere I go, kind of like Apple Pay, but with the card itself. Yeah, yeah. 
but but Japan's such a cash maybe Korea is the same way they use cash a lot more but I did often think after getting here like wow cash would be like if you go to a, a drive through here like for food like coffee or Starbucks or whatever it's all cashless it's they put the little terminal they hold the terminal out and you tap it and so with I could see this being a concern. Uh, the, the cocaine connection is quite interesting, <laughs> but uh, I could see they used to say that don't put that money in your mouth, even as a kid, like you just had like a coin or something. So um, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, general practice, right? You definitely do not want to, I mean, pre COVID with cash, right? It, it is, I think there's a perception that it is a little bit dirty, right? I mean, you don't know who's touched it before. You don't know what they've done. Um, with that, with that cash, maybe they used it to snort cocaine. Maybe um, they used it for you know other unsightly things. Uh, so you know, yeah, it's just weird. Thanks for the story. I think it's a it was a good one. Um, we you. I think the whole episode, uh, Salim, you brought a few things uh, that I didn't know. I had no idea about the Croatian mercenary connection to the necktie. <laughs> so we've talked about in the past how we like to provide some education through this podcast and i think that was uh, i appreciate your contribution here and hope uh, both of you guys will uh, come back again sometime thanks um yeah really uh really enjoyed being uh being a guest on the on, on the show and uh hopefully uh, there'll be a there'll be a second time yeah thanks on my end as well and listeners fair warning we'll be back